Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the All 22 podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm back again with Ray. And Ray, it is feeling like fall in New York, man. It was like 50 degrees this morning when I woke up. It's about 70 during the day. So I decided to put on like my pumpkin t-shirt. I don't know if you could see it, but there's little pumpkins on here. Old Navy, it's like five bucks. And it makes me think like, I probably don't want to know who made this t-shirt because it's probably sad. Like when you buy a $5 t-shirt, that's like the only thing you think about. That's, I don't think about that at all. As a matter of fact, uh, I think about, Hmm, like how long, like how many washes do I have? You know, how long is this going to last since it was only $5? So, so scary. I, I can, I can actually see the pumpkins. I have to really focus, Yeah, but it's, it's there. They're there. So I don't know why I leaned into the mic, like thinking that was going to yeah, help. That made it worse. Pumpkins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now they're off the screen. So yeah. It's like how many washes it's kind of like how many, weeks are in an NFL season and this is week two. So that was my transition. It was a terrible transition, but we're in week two and Ray, there was we're a lot of good three. games. Yeah. But like week two, we're talking about week two. We're talking kind today of. about week two. We're closing the and door then, on week two. And then we're going to close okay. the door on week two. Right. All right. All right. Come on. Yeah. Like, don't be nitpicky with me here. All right. I, that's but, all I do. Yeah. It's a little frustrating, Ray. People, the people have been talking about it and everybody's a little mm. frustrated, Ray. I'll nitpick them too. I mean, I don't care. Send me, send a mailbag or something. I'll nitpick you all day. That's fine. Do a whole episode. I just mean nitpicking every single one of your choices. It's fine. For those out there, like Ray and I have been playing fantasy football together for going on, what, 15 years? Yeah. Give, or, right. give or take. 15 years we've been playing fantasy football together. I don't think we've ever completed a trade. Ever. No. No. Because you wanted two first for Nikhil Harry. Remember that? You should have accepted I was on a my plane. Trade. I was on a plane and I was like, oh. this guy really wants me to accept this trade as I'm like over some flyover state, you know, middle of a cornfield, Nebraska somewhere. And yeah, no, wasn't happening. So we, we never, we never get deals done. We never do. And one of the deals that we, you've tried to get done is trading me Deshaun Watson. And I'm going to start off the conversation in week Ooh. two talking about Deshaun Watson, because there are two quarterbacks that I am n- officially nervous about. Deshaun Watson being one with a 59.9 grade in week two. And the other one is the guy that I thought would be maybe a can't miss start last week and Derek Carr, who graded out at 61.1. Those two guys are having a very rough start to the season. Those teams kind of banked on those guys being their saviors. Uh, I'm officially nervous. Uh I mean, I'm always the, it, it takes a long time for me to get rid of my priors, right? I think like one of the things as sort of a reference point, right? Especially like with, with college football, because I think preseason expectations and polls and where you start initially uh, actually matters in college ball right? rather than the NFL, right? Everybody starts zero, zero, but like a lot of the advanced metrics in college football, they take into account preseason or or previous season performances and maybe recruiting rankings and such. And it's not until about like four or five games into the season where that's kind of out the window and 
all your power rankings are sort of based off of your actual performance for the season. So I say all that to say, like, I'm kind of like one of those things where it takes a while for me to, to forget about what I already thought of you previously before the games actually kicked off. And so I'm still not, I'm not gonna say I'm not concerned about Deshaun Watson because I, there's definitely concern there, but I'm not, I'm not out on Deshaun Watson. And I mean, to me in particular, I think a lot of that is just because I feel like that offensive line was absolutely horrendous on, on, on Monday night. Uh, Jedrick Wills has just, he just has not performed well. Dewan Jones had his welcome to the NFL moments against, you know, TJ Watt on the other end of him. So like as a whole, Deshaun Watson was just under constant pressure uh, down in and down out. And so I look at that and go, that's, that's my crutch. So concerned. Yes. Because I mean, that's the offensive line that he's going to be playing behind all year. Um, but I still had a high enough opinion of his game prior to this season so that I'm not yet out on Deshaun Watson. But that's just me personally. I totally get the concern that a lot of people probably have because he has not looked good. It's just a lot of other things around him have not looked good. So I'm I'm banking on that. Okay. I, I think the reason people are starting to be concerned, right, is this is now uh, essentially like seven weeks in a row where he hasn't had a 70 grade. So he's had one grade reach the 70 level since 2020. Uh, obviously he missed games in between those times. Right. So it's, um, you know, I think last year people were just saying, you know, he's rusty. Let's give him a break. He did have one game last year, 70.1. The rest of the season was really rough. He only had one other grade last year where he graded above 60. Now we're entering 2023. He had a whole off season to work with his team. It was supposed to look better. Week one was a 66.8 and last week, 59.9. So, Again, I think I'm officially concerned. And, you know, when you watch the film, I think you see a little bit of that uncomfortable feeling with Watson still. Like, yes, he's his offensive line isn't really protecting him to the level that you expect in Cleveland as they've been kind of the last five years. But when you pay a quarterback $250 million guaranteed, he's supposed to be able to do some special things. And Watson, you know, always had been in that conversation of one of those special quarterbacks. So to see him in Cleveland the past two years – not doing that stuff is concerning to me because again, when you take, we've, we've talked about this, when you take that much time off of football, um, you know, it, you can lose some stuff, right? So I'm concerned there. And then Derek Carr, that one, I'm kind of more in line with what you were saying, where I think it's still too early because if you watched any of his game, a lot of what he was missing was just him not being on the same page as his receivers, right? Like a guy runs a skinny post. He thought they were going to run, a, you know, a deep post uh, or a, a shallow post, right? Like, and then somebody does a curl. He thought they were going to curl outside. They curled inside. He throws it outside. It's like, there was a lot of that in Derek's cars, Derek Carr's game. Um, and it's super concerning to me because I think there were even points in the game where they were putting Taysom, Taysom Hill in at quarterback to run the ball. I think just because they were like, Derek Carr needs a second. Like, let's get him out. Let's plug Hill in, give him a breath. And hopefully he gains his composure, but it, it didn't look good. No, and I think the one thing to consider there too is it is a new staff. Uh, and I mean, I, I think we talked about this in the offseason too, about how it's certainly not a Sean Payton staff and, and the Broncos have their own things to deal with that that we can discuss. But uh, in general, right at a high level, if you have a good quarterback under Sean Payton, you normally feel good about that, right? And that's not the case 
uh, under Dennis Allen. We haven't really seen, we just haven't seen him do that yet with a great quarterback. Uh, but even if so, even if Dennis Allen and that coaching staff is a net positive or turns out to be a net positive, still only his second game, uh, you know, in New Orleans. So there is an adjustment period that that can be taking place and might be one of those things we have to revisit in like week eight, week nine to see if it's materially any better or if this is just who they are. Uh, a team where the interior of that offensive line has not stepped up the way they're supposed to, a team that has a scrappy and feisty defense and some good receivers who break out and have some nice splash plays, but down to down that offense is not necessarily humming and and is a well-oiled machine. I think that's what's yet to be determined is what is the ultimate identity of this team? And we might not really know that until you wear that shirt again on Halloween. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, and you're, you're exactly right. Um, but let's, let's uh, flip over to kind of some of the the good stories from the weekend. Right. And Daniel Jones being one of those had the highest PFF grade with a 92.5 Ryan Tannehill right there with him. 92.5 uh, Kirk cousins, 83.1. But one of the other guys I wanted to talk about was Geno Smith, who had a kind of a bounce back game with a 79.8. So those guys, right, not the names that you would expect to be at the top of a list uh, in week two. Daniel Jones, let's talk about him for a second, right? So the Cardinals, uh, we expected the Giants to kind of whoop them, right? And it was an embarrassing start for the Giants. Uh, but Daniel Jones kind of held that team together and really came through in the end. He used his legs when the receivers weren't making plays. He used his legs when when Saquon had to leave the game um, and he ended up making some big throws. There was a deep throw to Jalen Hyatt uh, that looked really nice. Um, we talked about it last week. Like the giants just don't have enough at the receiver position to make Daniel Jones look good and his statistics to look good. But when you look at what he's doing on an individual level, there is a lot to like. And I think he showed that against what is a terrible Cardinals team. Um, but they, you know, they did all right against the, the giants this week. Yeah, and now they have the the Niners coming to town, and I know we're going to talk about that a bit more during our our, our preview session there. But um, you mentioned it last last week on on the daily about how you expected a lot of Giants to have bounce back games, and you didn't necessarily mention Daniel Jones in particular, but you mentioned good players could look like stars, and Daniel Jones was a star on Sunday afternoon against the Cardinals. He led a great comeback, had, you know, very high marks across the board, graded well, um, for the most part, took care of the football, uh, didn't put it in harm's way. He had a great game, uh, which is what you're supposed to do for 60 minutes against the Cardinals, not 30, right? But um, nevertheless, did enough to win, and he individually performed very well, as well as other players on that team in spots. So that was a good sign from Daniel Jones. Uh, we expected more of it maybe from start to finish, but at the end of the day, the win is the win and the performance is the performance. So he does this. He has those, those flashes, which is why he ultimately got paid despite the inconsistencies uh, during his career. And, you know, notwithstanding the situation that's been, that he's been put in his entire career. Um, but he did still get paid for a reason, regardless of whether or not he's a top 12, 15 quarterback. Uh, so he's going to have games and moments like this where he does kind of flash that ceiling and that potential. Um, and that was just one of those weeks. And if he's going to have three or four of those types of games a season, it's probably going to be against a team like the Cardinals, which is what ended up happening. 
That's exactly right. Um, and you mentioned there were other players on that team that looked good. I mean, I think one thing that you and I have said a few times is like Saquon is the glue of that team. And when he wants to put the team on his back, like there are very few running backs in the NFL that have this kind of impact on the team's results. Saquon willed that team to that win. And it was so unfortunate to see him get hurt. It was nice to see Darren Waller have some nice plays as well. Um, but yeah, let's move on to some of the rookies, right? So Anthony Richardson had what was definitely his most promising performance, or at least start to a game, uh, rushing for two touchdowns. He actually was throwing the ball pretty decently as well. He did have one turnover-worthy play, but overall, like he looked really sharp, uh, 60% completion percentage. Like he's doing all of the things right. And it's funny because these are things that like Justin Fields in year three looks like he's really struggling at still, but Anthony Richardson looked sharp. So it's really upsetting to see that he had to end up leaving the game with a concussion after his second rushing touchdown. But I'm starting to think that maybe, you know, Anthony Richardson is a little bit uh, further along than people had assumed. Yeah. I think the thing with Anthony Richardson is that you have to really at this point now put aside everything you were initially concerned about, not because he's proven everybody wrong and has already answered all the questions. He, It's been two games. No, he hasn't. But he needs to change the way he plays the game. He left week one with an injury, right? Got nicked up there, then leaves with a concussion in, in week two. And yes, he was, you know, it was on a scoring play. It happened in the end zone. Like all that notwithstanding, it's been two games and he's left the field twice, both games. That has to change. Uh, it, it doesn't get any easier on the body as you get older. And, um, you know, it, it, this is someone who didn't have a lot of reps as a starter in college and was able to play a certain way in college that he just has to learn that that can't be done in the NFL. You cannot be a quarterback and a battering ram when you're running the football in the NFL. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, again, not a lot of experience in college, so not a lot of moments for him to actually kind of feel that even in the, you know, the big games that you have, uh, you know, two or three times a year in college, didn't really have those moments. And so the NFL is like, it's now it's like a, it's already a shock to the system. And he's, now it's an even bigger shock to the system for someone like him. He's got to change the way he plays first and foremost. He's got to protect himself with the ball before you get back to, okay, can you be consistently accurate with the football and in rhythm and, and with good timing and so on and so forth. We talked about all that initially, and that's still you know part of the game that has to be developed and so forth, but it's all for nothing if he can't stay on the field because he's constantly taking hits and you know just shortening his his own career. That that's what has to change first and foremost as we move forward here before anything else. That's spot on. And I mean, that was the guidance I think Trevor Lawrence gave him after the first game is hey man, you gotta protect yourself. This is gonna, you know, this is a long season. This isn't college this isn't 12 games like it's a long season and if you're trying to make the Super Bowl it's a really long season so um I think I think you're exactly right and it's definitely a concern for you know all 22 managers right if you have a guy like Richardson and you want to see him play football you want to see him get those reps it's pretty unfortunate to see him coming off the field but you do like what you've seen when he's on the field and then you talked about a guy like throwing in rhythm right so that I want to transition to CJ Stroud who uh ended up with a 65.7 grade which is which is good, right? Like for a rookie quarterback, that's pretty good. Um, it looks like he, like, I think, I think I am ready to say that I think he might be the best 
Ohio State pocket passer we've seen. Like I, I might be ready that's, to say that. That's, that that's not saying much at all. I, I mean, who's he, who's he got to beat? Craig Krenzel? Like, I mean, that that's not saying yeah. much. Right. So, I mean, a lot of positive in his games. I will say this game, it's kind of like that Blake Bortles when your team's down by 30. Uh, you're going to be able to complete some passes, right? So you kind of got to ignore the 300-plus passing yard performance as it was because when you're playing down, it's kind of easy to stack those on. But what I do like is, you know, uh, he didn't turn the ball over much, right? He, he did have one turnover-worthy play, but he also had a big-time throw. Um, his completion percentage, 63.8, is pretty good. Um, did throw the two touchdown passes. 65.7 grade is is pretty good for C.J. Stroud. I, I would like to see him leading that offense to be more competitive when it matters and not to try to catch up, right? I think that's where we need him to get to. The, be the best quarterbacks in the NFL don't play from behind. They're they're always making their team uh, be in that kind of like uh, competitive window. So obviously this is, this is early in Stroud's career. He's kind of learning the ins and outs, but I think that's what I want to see before I start getting really confident in CJ Stroud. Yeah, actually, and it's funny. One thing I noticed uh, when watching Stroud this weekend was there was a, a play where he was kind of flush from the pocket, kind of up the middle and to the left, and he was decisive with his legs, which is something that in college up until the Georgia game just never happened. And a lot of people were left wondering, okay, is the Georgia game C.J. Stroud the real C.J. Stroud? This guy who, yes, we know he he has a great arm and – can throw a beautiful ball downfield and, and all that good stuff. But is he decisive? Is he, can he create plays? There was only one game where he actually did that in college. So we weren't sure. And it's not that he made any type of, you know, chunk play or, or, or any spectacular play that's going to be on a Twitter highlight or anything. But I saw decisiveness in the pocket to get out of the pocket, to use his legs, to try to buy time downfield. He may have ultimately even thrown the ball away. I don't even remember the outcome, but it was that decisiveness that I saw um, to actually use his legs some and extend the play that I was actually really impressed with and a bit surprised to see. So yes, it's early. We know the Texans as a whole are not going to be terribly competitive this season as far as, you know, the majority of their games are going, you know, competing for the playoffs or anything like that. This is a developmental year, so you want to see that development. And that was a positive development early on from C.J. Stroud. Now he's just got to keep it going. Yeah, and I mean, I did expect the offensive line to be better. I will say that. And I think uh, that's kind of been part of the the Texans' struggle to this point is that offensive line isn't supporting Stroud like they had hoped it would with the investments they made. Uh, maybe that'll change throughout the year as Stroud starts seeing things a little bit better as that group kind of starts to work more cohesively. Uh, and I don't want to be the one to keep kind of like tacking on to Bryce Young and the Panthers. He had a 57.2 grade. Is there anything you want to say about it? Yeah, there was one of those, I wish I, I had it in front of me or that I had, had saved it in my feed to give proper credit to this. But, you know, there's there's so many advanced metrics out there. And, you know, we already know stats and metrics could kind of say whatever you want them to if you really wanted them to, right? But there was, there was a, a chart out there that basically uh, showed the amount of open windows a quarterback has had to throw into and their accuracy throwing into those windows. And it plotted every quarterback on this little plot chart, right, in the NFL. 
And Bryce Young was either one of or the lowest percentage of uh, open window throws of any quarterback in the league. But he had the highest accuracy rate on those open throws that he did have. Now, obviously, it's only two weeks, but it does kind of lend credence to what we all thought going in, in that his supporting cast is, is pretty bad, right? The offensive line is iffy. The receiving core is not great at all. So he doesn't have much to work with, but the guy's a bit of a gamer and maybe he has something here. And that kind of solidified that thought for me. So again, it's week two, again, you're never making definitive judgments either way, but yeah, that's kind of what I see is a guy who I think can play this game really well at a high level, but there, there's just not much there. It's like, it's like Daniel Hunter on the Vikings defense. You have one guy and everybody else is just, just out there, just overmatched. Wow, talking smack about Ivan Pace already. He's he's in the second week, Ray. Come on. <laughs> no, but I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think part of the issue with what Bryce Young is experiencing is he has to be the hero, right? Like he's playing a little bit of hero ball. He has five turnover-worthy plays already in two weeks, uh, and it's because there's nobody open. It's like he has nobody to throw to, so he's, he's trying to force balls that he probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, like I think as the season goes on, we'll see something a little bit better. My worry with the Panthers is not going to go away anytime soon. So I'm not just going to keep uh, reminding everybody every week what that is. But let's move to running back. And the reason I want to is because Bijan Robinson had the highest PFF grade of the week with an 88.2 at the running back position. And he looked phenomenal. Um, they're not giving him a lot of carries yet. Uh, it's still kind of a split workload. I think they're still trying to ease him in. But what we've seen from Bijan in just two weeks is everything we hoped we would. Yeah, it, it pretty much confirms everything you saw on tape coming out of college. You know, great vision, great ability, elusive, big, tough. I mean, he, he checks pretty much every box. Super long speed isn't necessarily there or not necessarily at the top of his position. He's not necessarily like, rookie or Saquon explosive, but he's one of the more explosive backs in the game who can do it all. He's a complete player. Uh, there's not much really to nitpick at. We're talking about nitpicking at the start of this episode. He's just the Bijan is what he is. He's it's yeah, it's, it's exactly what you wanted to see and what you expected to see, to be honest, that stuff translates for running backs for the most part. And in that offense, there's nothing really holding him back from an offensive line standpoint and a stylistic standpoint for that offense. So, yeah, Bijan is just is just everything you wanted him to be. Now you just want to see him get the ball even even more and just have more opportunities to actually make things happen. It was a surprisingly good week for uh, rookies on the offensive side of the ball. Let's move to the receiver position where the number one receiver was not a rookie. It was Nico Collins, but the number two was Marvin, Marvin Mims with a 90.1. He finished second in the receiver room. Uh, Mike Evans uh, looked phenomenal as well with an 85.4. He's kind of like ageless at this point. I think what he's doing is absolutely incredible. Uh, the consistency to his game is just kind of unmatched. Uh, another rookie, though, Jaden Reed, 82.9. He finished eight at the receiver position. And then Puka Nakua, again, uh, he had an 81 PFF grade. That was good for 11th. So three rookies finishing in that top 11 is pretty special, uh, especially with uh, some of those names, right? It's not Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's not Jordan Addison. Uh, it's it's Puka Nakua, Jaden Reed, and Marvin Mims. Yeah, I mean, you were such a big Jaden Reed fan coming out of college. You just love that pick for the Packers. So it's just it's just so great to see you just, you know, get some redemption, you know. Uh -huh. um, 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, they're rookies. I don't think this is Marvin Mims's, you know, this, this still isn't Marvin Mims's receiving room, right? I mean, you still have Jerry Judy kind of getting back to full health there as well. So um, I think what Mims is doing is solidifying himself to have a role on his team this season, but okay, great. He showed you a ceiling, right? He had, he had, he had he just two catches, but big plays down the field uh, showed some explosiveness. You want to see it. So good, you know, thumbs up for, for, for Marvin Mims or stock up for Marvin Mims. Jaden Reed, I've always kind of liked him a little bit. I don't think he's explosive or game breaking or anything, but just a solid, consistently good player. Um, so I still don't think we kind of talked about the the upcoming receiver class for the 2024 draft and how you're looking at someone like Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. to be sort of the Jamar Chase level prospect or even beyond that for that class and how we haven't really seen that level of wide receiver prospect come out in the last couple of years. And I think that's still, it's definitely fair to say, but the depth of these couple of classes are kind of showing it, showing itself as these guys can still play. There's still a lot of good receivers that have come out. Even Jalen Hyatt again, had a big game or a big catch in particular that was key in getting that win. So again, receivers deep. And even if you don't have the top of the top guys, in the last couple of classes amongst the youngsters in this league under 24 years old, there's still a lot of good players to be had. So uh, again, it's a, it's a deep position. And so, you know, we talked about strategy where if you can get the top of the top, great, get a chase, get a Jefferson. But if you don't, there's so many good ones out here that on any given week can give you a week winning performance. And I think we're seeing that now, even with these rookies and second year players. That's exactly right. And uh, at the tight end position, so you might you might be in your fantasy league at home with all your buddies, and George Kittle got you four points, and you're ready to just throw him away, right? Like two bad weeks in a row. But then you come to all 22, and you look, and you go, wow, he had an 88.3 grade. What's, what's the difference? George Kittle is one of the best blocking tight ends in football. So just a reminder to people out there that play regular traditional fantasy football – that's not real football, right? And that's what we're trying to do with All-22 is remind people that there's so much more to the game than just the one aspect of yards, touchdowns, right? It's it's about blocking. It's about doing the things to help your team win. And that's exactly what a guy like George Kittle is with that 88.3 PFF grade in week two. So if you started him, he finished number one overall and you got to be really excited. Uh, but another rookie I wanted to talk about, he finished number two on this list, and that's Sam Laporta with an 84.8. Ray, we've tweeted back-to-back weeks about Laporta because he's making these these lanes as a blocker that have led to some pretty big touchdowns. What do you like about Laporta so far? He's complete, and if people, you know, Dan Campbell was a blocking tight end during his his playing days, and Sam Laporta is an athletic type of player. Iowa just spits out tight ends like pretty much every year and Laporte is just the next one up, but you kind of see the mentality of Dan Campbell and that whole Detroit lions, whatever biting kneecaps and just being physical. Uh, you see that come through already after just two weeks in Sam Laporte's play two weeks in a row. He had the key block for a rushing touchdown for his team outside of, you know, the targets and catches and receptions that he's getting and making on his own. He's just a complete player and tight ends take a long time 
Sam Laporta has not taken any time to kind of get acclimated to this game. Will there be some low points? Probably, but he's hit the ground running and I love everything about his game. Uh, you know, run blocking, route running, receiving. He's doing it all right now in an offense that is producing numbers. So it's it's a great spot to be in. He's quickly emerging as the guy at tight end from this draft class. Yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, you were you were extremely high on him. So shout out to you for that one. Um, let's move to tackle where Jordan Mailata had what could have been the best game of his career with a 96.9 PFF grade. Trent Williams, another guy that just is always the, the model of consistency, came in with an 83.4. And uh, yeah, let's talk about those two guys real quick. Yeah, I had uh, I may be the only person on the platform that had Jordan Mailata and lost. Um, I'm sorry, Jordan Mailata and Micah Parsons. We may, I don't know if we're going to get to that, but uh, yeah, and still lost. Ridiculous. Um, he was fantastic. And we talked about guys having bounce back games last week, heading into week two. And Jordan Mailata was like the guy we highlighted who had a really poor performance against the Patriots in week one. And he came out in a big way and just had a phenomenal performance against the Vikings uh, in week two. Uh, there was that one sack that people might've seen on TV, but that was really just Jalen hurts drifting right into him. My had done his job perfectly, uh, beat his man to the spot and just held his own. And it was just Jalen hurts just kind of drifting right into the defender. Nothing my could do there. So that's, you know, again, that's not a negative play for his great, um, over 95 run block over 90 pass block. I mean, he's just phenomenal for a guy who again for what five years ago had never even played football before didn't even know what football was right just a rugby guy um my is one of the top guys at this position in the game and he just showed it again in week two i think that's here to stay he had a poor performance week one but hey that's sometimes that's just week one blues it, it happens the first week of the year Right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up that block that uh, ended up in a sack, right? Because that was a Jalen Hurts kind of um, mistake. And when you look at PFF grade of quarterbacks, that's something you're going to see as well, right? You might have seen Jalen Hurts in that game and said, you know, he didn't do that much wrong. Like he was getting sacked a lot. He was getting a lot of pressure. But quarterbacks can create pressure as well, right? So um, an offensive lineman could b- block perfectly like my lot did on that play. And when Jalen, when Jalen Hurts moves towards that that area he's doing something he's not supposed to right and that's why you'll see his pff grade reflect that and you'll see jordan mylatas end up at a 96.9 so yeah good good point bringing that up uh paris johnson i just wanted to bring him up as well quickly 65.7 grade obviously that cardinals offense did pretty well right it looked better than most people expected Paris Johnson with a 65.7 as a rookie. That's a pretty good grade. We like to see that. Um, so pretty impressive. Next thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, I didn't get the Derek Carr thing right. But one thing we did get right here is Indianapolis interior of that offensive line uh, ended up having a really good day, right? Uh, so we had Will Fryers at guard be the number one score, uh, scoring guard. His PFF grade was a 90.3. And then Ryan Kelly at center, 87.3. He was also number one at center. So you do need to look at these matchups because a lot of times you will be able to find things like that. And uh, Will Fryers might've been a free agent in your league, right? And he's somebody you could have picked up. Ryan Kelly might've been sitting on your bench, right? And you might've had uh, Jason Kelsey, right? As your number one guy. But when you see that matchup, you have to take advantage of things like that because a guy like Ryan Kelly, he's good enough to succeed in those kind of situations. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Will Fryers went to the, 
Greatest university in the world. It's amazing. Uh, another great guy. Uh, Everybody drink. But yeah, it's <laughs> we talk about the interior of the offensive line. There's not many set it and forget it guys in this league. At center, there's maybe four. At guard, maybe there's six, seven. And then the rest is kind of playing those matchups. So I think, you know, of all the positions on the platform, the offensive line, and in particular that interior of the offensive line, is one that you have to probably pay more attention to than the rest when it comes to weekly matchups and how your players are faring against their opponent and what that's going to look like. That projection is much more important probably on the offensive line than at other positions in the game where, uh, again, the, the the performance of of a receiver, for the most part, is based off of just how well they do individually. Uh, whereas, you know, offensive line, there's so many other factors that go into it. Uh, and so you have to play that matchup game a bit more than usual when it comes to those positions. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that you should play, pay close attention to. And that's kind of why you listen to the all 22 podcast. So you can get that sort of insight from us and you do start Ryan Kelly and Will Fries and go ahead and probably win your week, unless you're like me who had the highest graded lineman in the entire game and somehow still lost. I think I have a record for points against after two weeks in this platform. So we'll just see how that ends up being. We talked about it last week, Ray. You're tanking. So everybody knew that. Everybody saw that outcome coming. Uh, another guy I want to talk about at the center position, John Michael Schmitz for the Giants. Another guy of that of that team, right? It was an underperforming team, but he did really well. 69.3 as a rookie. That's a really strong grade. Um, again, it was against a poor Cardinals kind of defense. Still like to see it. So Giants fans trying to give you a little bit of something to kind of be happy about this week. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. We'll start on the defensive interior where Chris Jones was back for his first game of the season. He held out. And man, what a difference a guy like Chris Jones makes for a team. 92.8 grade. Uh, number one in the in our system, right? So right off the bat is the highest graded player uh, without, you know, playing the entire offseason, right? Not going to practice, not suiting up, not playing in week one, comes back and he's the highest graded uh, defensive interior, 92.8. Uh, and and obviously the Chiefs won another really close game. If Chris Jones isn't there, there's probably a good chance they're not winning that game. Yeah, we, we talked about how he's the glue that makes that entire defense just kind of come together. Without him, it's just a a bunch of just kind of just just players out there that, you know, don't equal the sum of their parts. Chris Jones really brings that whole unit together and just makes it work. He just disrupts everything the opponent is doing from the jump, from the inside out. There's really not much more that can be said other than, you know, this this guy is one of the most important defensive players to his team out of anybody in the entire league. And it's reflected in his grade. So if you got him, that's fantastic because there ain't many at that level at the defensive interior position at all. Um, so, yeah. That's definitely a set it and forget it guy. Absolutely. I want to shout out David Onyemata, just beating up on my Packers this week with a 90.9 grade. So shout out to him. But then I want to talk about three young players. So Jordan Davis, who isn't a rookie, but was pretty limited with his snaps last year. He's still limited this year, but came in with an 85.7 grade. And I was tweeting about him the entire game because he is one, he's really fun to watch, right? He's a massive human being. So when you see him on the field doing things, looking extremely athletic, being quick off the ball and beating uh, those interior linemen, it's pretty special. And uh, I expect his his usage to pick up as his career goes on, but 85.7 grade and he, he meets the snap count minimum, 
I think he might be getting into that kind of like set it and forget it uh, place as well. The only thing you worry about is that snap count. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, well, there's two things. One, I feel like he's almost been a little bit forgotten this offseason because of all the Jalen Carter hype, which is fine and, and, and warranted in its own right. Jordan Davis was this guy getting all the hype last year. And like you mentioned, he was limited, so everyone just kind of forgot about him. I do think as that schedule kind of gets gets tougher and, and the Eagles uh, are playing teams you know, that aren't you know Mac Jones or the backup Minnesota Vikings offensive line and the game is more competitive throughout and they have to be on the field a bit more, that I think Jordan Davis is going to consistently clear that that 20 snap count threshold so that he can be a, a starter, a top line defensive interior player for you. I don't have much concern about that moving forward. Maybe I'm being a little naive, but I do think that will be less and less of a concern as we move along here. So with that in mind, yeah, <laughs> Jalen Carter might be getting all the hype, but right now Jordan Davis is absolutely crushing it as a young player. So um, keep an eye on the snap count, but I do think that's something that will resolve itself in coming weeks. And he's just going to be a guy that you can plug into your lineup and just forget about it. Absolutely. Uh, another guy that I was I was a little worried about after week one, just because defensive interior players take a lot of time to develop. He's a rookie. Week one didn't look that good. But Brian Brisset had a 77.3 grade this week versus the Panthers. Panthers offensive line, another not not great offensive line. But it's still very promising to see that. And then lastly, Mozzie Smith came in with a 70 grade for the Cowboys. I think that was kind of a, a, a gimme just because of how uh, kind of outmatched the Jets offensive line was against Dallas and the other weapons. You know, I think Mozzie Smith had a lot of freedom there. Um, but still, it's really promising for those two young guys. And we talked about how this rookie class of defensive interior uh, players is looking pretty special already, right? Their, their grades are much higher than we've seen in past years for the defensive interior position. Now we just need to see a little bit of that consistency. Yeah, I, I do feel bad for the Jets offensive line, if I can go there for a second, because I was so excited to see them with Aaron Rodgers getting them lined up in the right spots and, and actually giving them a chance before the snap to actually have an advantage over their opponent. That obviously isn't happening anymore and is not going to happen. So it's just kind of more of the same for the Jets, and that's just that's just awful to see. Um, and I think the, right now, at least early on, the Cowboys have had the luxury of kind of bringing Mozzie Smith along slowly and not having to put too much on his plate. And I think that's, like you mentioned, that's good for his development. Because as you mentioned, these guys do take time. So if you can get him in spots where he can have success early on and not put too much on his plate, that bodes well for his future as they continue to kind of add more and grow his role moving forward. So, um, yeah, good start for the young defensive interior players, uh, you know, as a whole for, you know, for the 2023 draft class. Obviously still early, still a way to go, but... It's a good start. Definitely, definitely is. And I mean, we're going to stick with the Cowboys for a second here, moving to the edge position where we we talked about this. And Ray, you hit this one right on the head. Uh, Micah Parsons and, and Lawrence tied for top edge rusher grade with a 94.4. 94.4 is absolutely insane to have two edge rushers on your team. Ex you know, meet that level is just absolutely absurd, but it's what we expected. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we called it. It was, it was the Jets' offensive line against the most dangerous defensive player in the game right now, and then the guy alongside him, who's an eight, nine-year vet, who's just well-rounded, knows what he's doing, and is very good in his own right. So, um, 
yeah, that's, that's, I'll, I'll take the kudos for that one, but, um, that's what happens when you have great players going up against the Jets offensive line at home with a lead for the majority of that game. It just, it snowballs and, um, something to keep an eye on for the Jets opponents moving forward, especially if there is sort of a premier name at one of those edge spots, keep an eye on the other one as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think edge is a position where the reliance on other people's success doesn't matter as much. Like it matters like where we talk about Drake Jackson, when Nick Bose is across from you, it's going to help you out obviously. Um, But, but it's really like when you're one of the top guys in the league, you're going to do well. And I think we're seeing that pretty, pretty spectacularly, right? Like quarterback, I haven't really talked much about Patrick Mahomes because, you know, his team is struggling a little bit and it's going to be reflective in his grade. Even though he's grading fine, he's not that top guy every week yet because, again, the pieces around him just aren't really helping him achieve that. And I think, you know, you could talk about receiver, right, the same way. Those top guys, we're not hearing their names as often because maybe the situation isn't as good as it could be. But at edge, you have a job to do and it's really to get to the quarterback, right? And uh, Micah Parsons being on this list at the top, Nick Bosa was second, um, Miles Garrett was fourth, right? Like those names we see every single week at the top of these lists because their job is to do one thing really well and let's get to the quarterback. So um, not surprised at all to see that. Those are the guys that we always you know, expect to see at the top of this list. Uh, rookie Will Anderson, I'll just touch on him really quickly. 56 uh, PFF grade for him, so not a great week for him. Um, but again, he's young, and uh, the Indianapolis offensive line probably was able to do a lot to prevent him to get to the quarterback because that interior is so weak, right? So guys on the interior were winning one-on-one, which allows you to do more against a guy like Will Anderson, making his life really difficult. Yeah. Rookie ups and downs. That's all that is. And then one other name too is, is Chase Young. I, I, I think, you know, he's kind of a forgotten guy because he with all the injuries and then everything else that's gone on in Washington that, the fact that they had, uh, what was it, number two overall pick at edge rusher uh, that looked like a phenom, got hurt, was missing from their lineup, leaving a huge void on their defense, just kind of got forgotten. And for him to come back uh, last Sunday in week two and put up a solid performance, you know, it wasn't top 10 or anything, but he posted a nice, you know, 76.1 grade overall, um, had a few pressures there, looked, you know, just looked not 100% the, the old Chase Young that we're used to because that was just such a freaky type of athlete on the edge there. But again, a quality performance, 84.6 pass rush grade overall. So uh, just good to see him get back in the swing of things. And we'll kind of see how that progresses moving forward too, because that's a name that a lot of people had forgotten about, but could have a big impact if he gets back to or close to his original form that we thought he would be coming out of college. We're seeing a lot of those Washington players look rejuvenated this year. I think Sam Howell is kind of giving everybody a shot in the arm, uh, thinking that like, hey, maybe we can be a competitive team with a decent quarterback, right? And it's it's kind of cool to see. So Chase Young, like to see that he's coming back. We talked about him a lot this offseason. So um, again, happy to see he's doing well. Ray, is there anything more embarrassing than getting mossed by like a not extremely athletic linebacker. I'm sure I could think of something, but not off the top of my head. That's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
if I did get mossed by a linebacker that's known more for his just like, you know, technique and solid play than actually being like some type of freak athlete, I would want to log on and see that he was at least the second highest graded linebacker in the NFL uh, for the week, which Matt Milano was. Yes, he was with a 91 grade. So love to see that for Matt Milano uh, in Buffalo. But a guy that you were kind of bashing before is Ivan Pace with a 87.2. Another guy that did incredible. Him. Just bashing him. Just bashing him, saying that there's nobody else on that defense. He's been incredible. He's been incredible. As a as a linebacker that's able to get to the quarterback as frequently and, and do it as well as he's doing it is kind of a rare thing. So I think Minnesota really found something special there in Ivan Pace. And maybe keep his name out it's, your mouth. It's it's week two. It's week two. All right. There's it's like you ever you ever pick up like a new hobby or like learn a new game and you don't really know what you're doing, but then you, you like start doing it really well, but you don't know what you're doing. That could be Ivan Pace right now. And then as he learns, like as the game slows down for him, he somehow becomes worse. That's possible. Mm. It's totally mm. possible. So yeah, I was about to, um, was about to say some that, reckless stuff, that. but I'll keep it to myself. You, you, yeah, yeah. Why don't you just keep it to yourself? I'm, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm a, I, I like Ivan Pace. If he's listening, I'm yeah, wishing you all the best, pal. I'm, I'm cool. No, I'm not bashing you at all. Don't listen to this guy. Way to way to save yourself, uh, Frankie Louvi. Yeah. Louvu had another great game, 87 grade. Uh, he looked incredible. The Broncos had a couple guys that did well. Uh, Josie Jewell, 87 grade for him. And then rookie Drew Sanders, who I know you really liked, uh, 69.3. So he's coming along pretty well. Um, and they're giving him an opportunity to get on the field and do that. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs there because he's not very he's not very technically sound just yet. More of a pass rushing, playmaking type. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of time before he's sort of a down-to-down player that can be inserted into your lineups. But um, until then, just just watch him flash and, and, and you know, take it from there. Just stow him away in the oven and, uh, you know, come back at a later date and he's all done and ready to go and you have yourself a full-fledged linebacker. That's right. Uh, at the cornerback position, there's a guy that we expected to have a great year as a rookie, uh, but nobody expects it to happen against Miami. Right with with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, nobody expects a cornerback to be in a good position to be successful. But Christian Gonzalez finished as the number one graded cornerback as a rookie with a ninety point nine. I he he looked incredible. He's a very good player. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he's got all the tools, movement wise, that you wanted to see. Um, he's phenomenal. I mean, we talked about how it was pretty much between him and. Emmanuel Forbes as our number one corner in the class. Obviously, mm-hmm. still early. You don't make any declaration after just you know one phenomenal game. I think they both actually look pretty darn good to start their you know to start their careers. But I think yeah, right now the the higher end of play has gone to Christian Gonzalez after week two. But um, he looked he looked phenomenal. If you can if you can perform that way against that receiving core and that receiving duo, then. I mean, there's no reason for you not to be extremely excited about what the future looks like for for Christian Gonzalez, who's super young, just turned 21 years old, so very young player too. Obviously, he's part of a you know a defense that has some great coaching of the likes of Belichick, so you know he's in good hands there as a defensive player overall, as far as development in his game moving forward. So, yeah, yeah, not much that can be said negatively about Christian Gonzalez to date and then his future prospects also. 
Yeah, he looks incredible. Uh, a couple other guys to mention, Sean Murphy bunting with an 84.1 against uh, a really good Chargers receiving group. Sauce Gardner had a bounce back game. I think everybody was kind of dogging on him a little bit after his week one performance, and he did kind of get bullied in it. If you watch that game, uh, I think that entire Jets team was a little bit thrown off by the by the Rodgers injury that it kind of deflated some people. I think Sauce was one of those people. He came back game two, put it put up an 82.8 grade. Uh, so like to see that for Sauce. And then I wanted to kind of, we'll all take a shot together here. Joey Porter Jr., 75.3 grade for Pittsburgh. Uh, that's a really great, uh, you know, game for him against, you know, a tough division rival in Cleveland. It's a big stage for a rookie. Monday night football, you know, at home against a division rival and pretty much you know, driving with the game on the line and, and it's, and he's the one making a plan for it down. So uh, it's a big spot and he came up big. So yeah, just again, another one of those talented corners from this class that, you know, he doesn't have the, probably the ceiling of someone like a Christian Gonzalez or anything, but he's a very talented player and is also off to a pretty good start showing those flashes, even if it's not consistently yet, uh, you know, down to down, uh, you know, what you want to see, from an established corner he's still young and he's getting there but good vibes good signs early on uh i'm also going to just plug in again kind of the weekly deron bland watch another 72 uh great overall so again we talked about deron bland as our sleeper corner before the start of the season two 70 plus graded games to start the year uh with an interception so yeah just just throwing that out there yeah, no, we gotta we gotta just make sure we're we're referencing our successes and just burying our failures. So Ex- love, exactly love that, right. Ray. A uh, couple safeties. So I'm gonna give you a moment to pull a rabbit out of your hat. Theo Jackson for the Vikings. Uh, I know nothing about this dude. 93.7 grade out of nowhere. And I looked. I was like, is he even like a starter on this team? He played legitimate snaps for this team. So Ray, while you're pulling a rabbit out of your hat. I'll just talk about the other guys. Malik Hooker, 91.8 for Dallas. He's been incredible. A uh, couple other guys, Gino Stone, Bobby, uh, I believe, wrote about him in this week's article of guys that you might be able to find on the waiver wire. He had a 91.1 for the Ravens. He looks really good after two weeks. And then Grant Delpit, 90 grade, another guy that's kind of been slow to come up, but uh, doing really well this season. Love to see that. So, Ray. Was that enough time for you to pull a rabbit out of your hat and find something on Theo Jackson? Yeah, he's Theo Jackson. I mean, how do you not uh, know Theo Jackson from mm-hmm. you know Tennessee, sixth round pick in twenty twenty two? Everybody knows Theo Jackson. Um, the Vikings have had a lot of injuries at safety, and a lot of the discussion has been, "Oh, well, where in the world is Lewis Seen, and why is he not on the field after all these injuries?" When for over half the snaps, it seems like the Vikings are lining up with three deep safeties anyway. Where is this guy, right? But they're not talking about how Theo Jackson forced an interception when he was on the field Thursday night against Jalen Hurts, uh, made some plays on the ball, and made the most of his snaps. Is this a an every-down player, someone you should pick up on waivers this week? No, I think you have to wait to see how that plays out. We talked about how that Minnesota Vikings defense as a whole is really overmatched uh, anyway. And there's so much uncertainty there at that safety position with all the injuries that they've had uh, and things to sort through there. So by no means are we you know, saying, hey, go out and get this guy because this is, this is a sleeper and he's going to do this every week. But it's a name to monitor because most people are thin at safety. And 
here's one that could be something could not be. So kind of just keep an eye on him from there. It was a good start forced a turnover. Now let's see what he does, you know, again, with kind of a full slate of preparation to work with as a starter and, and go from there. But otherwise six two, 200 pounds. I mean, he's built like a safety move, like a safety made play on the ball, like a safety supposed to against the Eagles. So just, just kind of see where it ends up. Well done, Ray. Well done. Love, love that. All right. Let's, let's preview Thursday night football. Uh, it's Wednesday. By the time people are listening to this, it'll be Thursday morning. Uh, and there's, there's football on, right. And it's, it's the giants. It's the giants versus the 49ers, <laughs> which might be a little rough, uh, but it's still something that we need to pay attention to because you're likely to have two, three starters playing this game. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'll kick off the conversation and just say, you know, it was nice to see DJ bounce back last is out. Andrew Thomas is out. And uh, the offensive line currently has a 52.3 pass blocking grade. The 49ers currently have an 88.4 pass rushing grade. Uh, they have an 80 coverage grade. And um, yeah, I just think it's going to be a little bit rough. Christian McCaffrey might be the best running back in the NFL. The Giants run defense is currently 53.2. What do you expect to happen this game? Have we talked about how we think Drake Jackson's a pretty good player and someone who should be in your lineups lately? Because um, that should—if if you've heard that somewhere—you should listen to that. That should not change this week. Uh, I expect the Giants' offensive line to just get overwhelmed. I, I, I really do. Um, I mean, I'm not. I, I said this before how I don't really like doing this because there's always other context missing, but. I mean, Daniel Jones, his splits in his career without Saquon Barkley is a passer rating of 77.3 with 16 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in 19 games. Uh, And now he's going up against a top five defense in the league on a short week on the road. It, it's I don't expect much from from that without unit. his left tackle without his and without his left tackle left, left tackle yeah yeah pretty much the the only one on that front that you would say he can hold his own against this front right like I'm not scared I'm not scared of of Nick Bosa when Andrew Thomas is is blocking you know for me on my blind side that that makes me feel good and mm-hmm. uh, Thomas isn't even there so that's that's going to be rough. I don't know if Azudu is going to be the one again getting the majority of the left tackle snaps over for New York. But um either way it's it's a mismatch in favor of of the San Francisco front and defense as a whole. So yeah, I expect them to get overwhelmed. I, I expect it to look kind of like what we saw last Thursday night uh when it came to the Vikings offensive line against the the Eagles defensive front. I don't, I don't see it much different. If, if you want to talk about what happens when San Francisco has the ball, uh, I think I do expect the Giants' interior defensive line to still have some success, right? The interior of that uh, San Francisco line with Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel, and Spencer Buford uh, isn't necessarily something that strikes fear in someone like Dexter Lawrence, right? Um, it's more so the, the edges of that offensive line. Obviously, you have Trent Williams at tackle. Uh, I do expect the Niners to kind of work the edges in the run game. Um, and I think Chris Collinsworth might have mentioned it during the broadcast in week one about how when you have young rookie corners starting in the NFL, you want to attack them deep just to see if you can get a pass interference call or see if you could just kind of get behind them 
for for a big play and steal a score here or there. I don't think the 49ers are the team to do that through the air, though. I think Ayuk is great. I think he's going to get his. I think he's a phenomenal receiver, but I don't think it's going to necessarily be downfield. And to date, through these two games, Brock Purdy still does not have a big-time throw, but he does have two turnover-worthy plays. I think this is going to be a game where I think that the Niners are just going to wear down the Giants with the outside run game uh, and then just kind of pick them apart in spots in the passing game. And so right now, Brock Purdy is a 17th grade uh, quarterback in the NFL. That probably goes up this week, even if it settles back down to somewhere like 17 or 20, you know, for the remainder of the season in the long term. I just think the Niners are going to be able to play their kind of game without having to get off script they're not going to necessarily be be stressed or pressed to make plays happen because their defense is going to take care of what they need to take care of. So it's just going to be one of those methodical games for the for the 49ers. Yeah. I, and I don't like I think there I could make that argument to say like I tried to do last week. This is a good matchup for the Giants defense because that offensive line on the interior is very weak besides Trent Williams. The entire offensive line is really weak, right? George Kittle is essentially a sixth <laughs> offensive lineman. Um, yep. So that adds a little bit of strength to it. But you look at a guy like Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, other guys in that defensive interior, even a Kayvon Thibodeau, right? And you should you should be able to say those guys are going to have a lot of success. Um, and when those guys have a lot of success, it means that the defensive back room should have a lot of success as well, right? Because there's going to be throws that they can make plays on. You, you hit it on the head, though. Brock Purdy is a guy that is going to stick to the script. He's going to do what he's told. And because he does that, his PFF grade is never going to be sky high, um, but it's also never going to be really low. And it also means that there's not going to be a lot of mistakes made. There's not going to be a lot of room for error. Um, and I think that gives the Giants defensive backroom fits this week. And I don't want to have egg on my face again and say, let's invest in, in <laughs> Deontay. Deontay Banks and, and other guys on that defense. Instead, I'm going to say Dexter Lawrence and Okereke are probably the only two guys on the defense that I would consider starting this week. Lawrence is a definite starter. Okereke being another guy that I would consider. Yeah, really going out on a limb there. Uh, Fantastic insight. I'm not. That's the point. (laughs) I, I, I am saying don't. If I were you, I wouldn't. I would say on the offensive side of the ball, what do you think about starting DJ? Like it after the game he had last week, he showed a little bit of magic. Do we think there's any chance that he can do that against top three defense in the NFL, or is it just a no? No, no. I mean, I mean, there's always a chance, but but no, uh, not at all. I, I would I would stay far away from that matchup. Um, if you if you happen to play the matchup game, which would go against the advice that we, or at least that I gave. Uh, heading into last week's games as far as sticking with your number one quarterback and not playing the matchup game. But if you did play the matchup game with Daniel Jones last week and reap the benefits of that great game, I assume you're not doing that again this week, given the matchup against the 49ers without Saquon, without Andrew Thomas. Um, but uh, if if you're for some reason contemplating it, don't. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting Daniel Jones this week. So I didn't go out on a limb, but is there anybody you want to go out on a limb for on either side? Just No, I, f- I feel like this game just is what it is. I think the mismatches are the mismatches. 
And that's that. And the Niners are going to play to those mismatches and the Giants are going to play to those mismatches when it comes to their interior defensive line against the, the, the 49ers on the interior. So I, I really don't see anything outside of sort of the expectation, which I guess is why it's the expectation to begin with. Um, I, so really, I think this is kind of that game where things just kind of go the way you expect it to, unless there's some weird bounces. Is it possible that someone as talented as Kayvon Thibodeau kind of uh, erupts and has a coming out party? Sure, it's possible. He's got the talent, but he's going up against Trent Williams. And even if he were to line up on the other side of, of that offense there, I mean, they just, I don't think there's enough there for him to really take advantage of given the Shanahan scheme and what they're going to do on offense anyway, as far as getting the ball out quickly or just attacking them in the run game. So I really do think this is just the kind of game that goes to script and the Niners just sort of grind away at the giants uh, in kind of like this, just demoralizing fashion over three hours. Um, So yeah, there's really no limbs for me to go out on other than the best running back is, is going to be the one in street clothes. So, wow. That's all I got. No, I, I mean, I agree with everything you said until the end there, but, um, yeah, you agree with it's, 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 I'd say it's good that we're getting this game out now and that, you know, maybe you have other plans because it's early in the season. The weather's still kind of nice. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell no, you to go watch football, football no matter what. Football. Yeah, I'm going to tell you it's to go watch dark. It no it's what. dark early too. It's it's dark at eight o'clock by now. So there's not much you can do. Like, it's not like it was a month ago. It's still dark. It's true. But if if there's a game you're missing, maybe it's this one. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, uh, I don't have anything else raised or anything else you wanted to touch on before we close out the episode. I'm, I'm just going to let you just go out there and be like, oh yeah, no, Saquon's not the best running back. That's going to be on either team on Thursday night. He just happens to be in street clothes. If he was on this Niners team, he would be that guy. You think he also wouldn't be broken for putting the entire franchise on his back. Yes. Well, see, that's the thing though. It's like the offensive line in San Francisco isn't good either. Right. And I feel like Shanahan's they use, team, though. yeah, but they use exactly. They use McCaffrey very differently than the giants use Saquon. They, they use McCaffrey, they scheme runs that just seem to be open lanes, even though the offensive line isn't good. They use them really well in the passing game. Saquon's just getting brutalized play in and play out. So, I mean, I, it, it's really hard to compare. I, I don't know who I would say is better in reality. Well, I do. So, yeah, I know you do. Get well soon, Saquon. Hope to see you back in a couple of weeks. Me too. And thank you everyone for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all 22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. Thanks and have a great night. I love guns.